Empire. Is the United States really ready for the sports gambling wave? And I think you're seeing some of the other states kind of take uh, maybe a more cautious approach. Sports betting's new, and, and that's understandable. And kind of, I think if you keep it to the bricks and mortar, they're, they're more comfortable in maybe launching like that, and then maybe following it with online uh, later. That's Ian Bradley, Chief Strategy Officer at SB Tech, who knows that the lessons learned across the pond are necessary for legalized gambling to work here. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Ian Bradley will discuss securing bets safely, dealing with avoiding fraud in the fast-moving in-game betting models, and of course, the gold rush as platforms vie for contracts that they may or may not be ready for. But first, the future is now. Is lacrosse the future growth sport in America? Some might say its time has been long coming as its roots date back to Native Americans and Canadians, and it is surging among collegiate programs, but no pro league has really broken through to the mainstream yet. And yet, the world hasn't really met Paul Rabel, and they will. Emily Karen from SI.com joins us now. She did a profile on Paul. Hey, Emily, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, what did you learn about Paul Rabel? He uh, is very determined uh, to bring lacrosse kind of up to the professional par that other uh, professional sports leagues are on right now. And um, he seems like he is setting himself up in a good position to do it. So what is he doing exactly? Can you explain to people what his league will be? Sure. So his league um, is basically a single entity venture capital backed league. Um, instead of being, you know, having individual teams located in a city owned by a owner or an ownership group, he just has a bunch of venture capital backing one league that they're going to take on the road every weekend. Um, they're pretty confident that their tour-based model is going to help grow the sport in a different way than kind of planting a team in a city um, would. And then after, what? well, their goal is that within a couple of years of taking this tour-based um, and being able to grow the game a little bit, then maybe eventually they'll be able to settle it down and take a more traditional approach. But for right now, they're really just trying to grow the game. They're using the capital they have from investors to kind of get them started. And then they're really just looking to start actually turning a profit, which other professional lacrosse leagues haven't really been able to do so far. Why does he think lacrosse hasn't gone mainstream? It seems like the understanding is just that there hasn't been the right environment for that to happen, right? You've never had a major broadcaster um, showing their games you've never had the right distribution you've never had the right kind of people promoting it and I think they also think that this is the right time given how young their audience is and then how engaged um, socially that generation is so I think they're just thinking that it's never really been the right time or been done in the right way. Are they looking at different technologies to differentiate themselves obviously we're focused here on all of the different sports and tech merges do you see any innovation coming to what he's doing oh, for sure 100 percent um they're really capitalizing on a bunch of social technology on um different ways that games can be broadcast now in terms of using technology to do video analysis and that kind of stuff but um you know they're even using something as every day right now as instagram right and they're taking the new affordances that instagram allows in the shop feature and they're capitalizing on okay look we post a photo 
with an athlete using one of our jerseys, we can link directly to, um, you know, you tap on the photo, we can link directly to where our fans and our audience can click that and purchase it. Or we can click, you know, they can swipe up and they can watch more of our content that's sponsored and that generates revenue. So they're really trying to kind of use modern money makers um, that are, you know, embedded in technology to promote this league and to start turning a profit. There's always the good old-fashioned star power, too, and most people don't know this, but he might as well be a LeBron James of the sport. Um, How much does he believe he needs to be the front and center centerpiece of all of this? I think if you look at the interviews that the league has done, he has kind of been the centerpiece so far, but I think what's also unique is that they're using the other stars around him. They were pretty successful in being able to secure most of the big names in the sport um, to come on board and join their new league in the inaugural season. So not only is he front and center, but he's using the other people who he know he knows um, are going to be recognized around him. And they're having them put out their own content on their individual platforms. So they're leveraging his star power. They're leveraging the other athletes' star power. And then they're kind of trying to use all of that to promote the league as a whole. Um, so I think as much as he is front and center and he's been the face of the league and talking about the business behind it and its development and its emergence, I think once they really get going, he's going to kind of look to help have those other stars help him continue promote, promoting what they're doing. And you can read more about what Paul is doing for the Premier Lacrosse League from Emily Karen on SI.com. Thank you so much, Emily. Yep. Up next, Ian Bradley from SB Tech as the U.S. readies for a full-fledged flood of sports bettors nationwide. Our guest this week is Ian Bradley, Chief Strategy Officer at SB Tech, which is powering many of the betting platforms, including the Golden Nugget Resorts and Churchill Downs. Hey, Ian, how are you? Hi, Brian. Nice to meet you. Um, before we get into what you guys do, the Kentucky Derby had a ridiculous finish, the most unusual in its history. So I wonder what those text and email chains are like between you and your coworkers when the money is shifting around like that. Yeah, so I was in uh, I was in Vegas actually, and Vegas came to a standstill to watch the race. It was a pretty wet, wet and damp affair, so it looked a bit like some UK racing we have. Um, and I was texting the Churchill Downs team after the result, and I mean, the, initially the the horse that won was wire to wire, so it was a, a good run. And then after it was disqualified, I thought it was a bit more like a racing incident. But I know Churchill Downs had a had a great day on the race and took record volumes, so. Um, overall, it was a good day for them and probably some of the customers who were able to back the winner and maybe get the big exact at home. And, and I'm assuming here, too, if there's going to be controversy, at least in paramutual betting, that's a better that's a better result for everyone who's involved in taking the bets, right? Exactly. With it, paramutual, the, you know, the, the operators don't, they're not quite as upset when, you know, like a, the favorite comes in. I mean, in this case, the favorite getting taken out would have been good for the bookies in general. If it, you know, in the UK where there'd have been more fixed odds betting on it. Um, so it would have been a better result getting the, the big priced horse home. But yeah, for the paramutual, I think they were probably happy because it made some bigger jackpots for some of their pools. Yeah, it did. Uh, let's get into your company here. What does SB Tech do? Yeah, so we're a technology and services provider for gaming uh, and sportsbook. So we do the basically two products is the easiest way to explain it. We have one, which is our sportsbook only product um, that integrates into other platforms. 
Uh, so, for example, that's what Golden Nugget take off us. They take our sportsbook solution for online and retail. And then we have a full platform solution where we also do the iGaming, so the casino content. We do all the payment integrations, KYC, regulatory, responsible gaming controls, uh, kind of the whole piece. Um, and that's what Churchill Downs take offers for um, both online and on property. Um, what are the complications of having a secure betting platform? Uh, good question. I mean, I think in, in the, the regulatory environment, uh, you know, we, we kind of hold ourselves to very high standards, both in terms of kind of SLAs and uptimes. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty critical when, when you know, people are betting, you know, things like the Kentucky Derby or the NBA playoffs, whatever it might be. Um, you know, if we have an issue or we have an incident and we miss the NBA game, uh, then customers can't bet on it again. It disappears. So I always kind of say it's a bit different to kind of a normal e-commerce site where if you want to buy a T-shirt and the website's down, you probably just go back to the website and go and buy the T-shirt. With sports betting, uh, particularly, if, the, if you're down when the event's down or you have any issues, then the customer just goes somewhere else and he can't bet on, bet on it with you. Um, and then also with um, kind of the regulations, there's lots of requirements around responsible gaming, keeping PII information secure. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of efforts and a lot of development effort goes into our kind of the platform and core parts of the features. So we've got around about 1,100 employees across the world um, who work across all parts of our products and services. Let's talk about the proliferation here. Obviously, this is a big deal that's going on in the United States with the changing laws, with what happened in the Supreme Court. Um, can, can you first describe what the marketplace is like right now as all of these different states and jurisdictions decide whether they are going to legalize sports gambling? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's been um, a pretty fast and, and good start. You know, New Jersey's done a great job uh, with the DG of getting everyone live with uh, pretty much what is like a a full solution. So in terms of online, mobile, retail, uh, comprehensive coverage in terms of what events you're able to offer as well. Um, so I think they're kind of a, a nice one for the other states to look at and kind of how ideally it would be done. Um, then you've got the other states, uh, you know, we're live in Mississippi where they've done just a non-property um, solution. And I think you're seeing some of the other states kind of take uh, maybe a more cautious approach. Sports betting is new and, and that's understandable and kind of, I think if you keep it to the bricks and mortar, they're, they're more comfortable in maybe launching like that and then maybe following it with online uh, later. So I think certainly, um, you know, the states are going to be mixed in how they open, you know, in terms of what products uh, are available to the consumers. Um, so like I say, either just an on-property, maybe on-property mobile and not have a full um, kind of online across the state. Um, personally, I think you've seen the states move a lot faster than people expected. Um, you know, I think Indiana made an announcement um, the other day, and you've got a lot of other states that are, are probably trying to push things through and move faster than what people expected. Um, the issue is now for most of the providers is if, they, if a state launches now, they want to try and get live for football season. And uh, the times, it seems like it's far away, but time's running short. Uh, and some are going to walk into the new technology and some will run into the new technology. Um, I, I, this feels like a little wild west for all these different groups that want to get involved. Do you see this ultimately being run by major gambling corporations or do you think there's going to be a lot of new players trying to jump into the field into each of these new jurisdictions? Yeah, I think you need to split it maybe by the, the both the suppliers and then and then the operators. Um, 
I think from a supplier point of view, um, a big thing we try and do is work very closely with a regulator to try and help them understand the different technology that's available, how maybe it differs from what, if you've gone to Nevada and seen some of the Nevada sports books uh, and kind of what they offer versus, you know, the, the suppliers like ourselves who have got more of a rounded and kind of a, a bigger and, and better offering. Um, so there's a, a big education piece to try and work and, and help the regulators as well. Um, and a lot of them are very amenable um, to, you know, having discussions, which is a, a good thing in the U.S. For us, it's sometimes a bit harder to talk to the regulators directly in Europe. So having kind of a direct line of contact with the regulator has been uh, really helpful, I think, on, on both sides. Um, I think from, from new, new entrants into the market, it, it's pretty difficult um, for a new supplier because it takes a long time to build up these complex systems. It, it's not something that's so easy. You've got different regulatory requirements across each jurisdiction that you need to be able to handle. So I think it'll be a bit of time before you see kind of a, the new kid on the block, so to speak. Um, but, you know, with uh, investment in a, with the market growing and with investment in, you know, Silicon Valley, I'm sure you'll probably see some in a few years. I think from the operator perspective, um, you're more likely to see some, some new entrants into the market. Um, probably, you know, if you look at like the Fox deal that was recently announced with um, the Stars Group, you know, that's kind of trying to mimic what Skybet did in the UK with a very kind of close link with the media channel. Um, so I think you'll see some of those companies that feel as though they've got um, something to offer in terms of either brand or um, kind of outreach to their customers, but don't necessarily uh, have the knowledge from a technical or operations point. And you'll see them either partnering, partnering with operators or suppliers like ourselves. So I want to go back to the, the part you talked about with, with legislators, and there's a lot of areas, and you named like Indiana and West Virginia, and New Jersey's had betting, and, and at least in form, and with Atlantic City, and Vegas obviously has been doing this for a long time, but for some of these new places, and some of them want to run to get ready to football season, to your point, um, yeah. what are you guys educating these legislators on about best practices as they try to get up and running safely and effectively? Yeah, I think we're, we're trying to support them in, in how the regulation's written, both in terms of like technical requirements, uh, but also things like the events offering, you know, what events should be offered, you know, whether there should be restrictions on certain college sports or teams. So we're really trying to work closely with them in terms of not being too restricted in terms of what the offering can be, because that, you know, the big US sports are obviously the, the pinnacle and, and what most things are bet on. Uh, in the US, but to grow the market, then I think, you know, you need to be able to have that additional content of, you know, what would probably, you know, something like soccer, which would be considered a side sport at this point, but it has a lot of coverage, for example, um, you know, when some of the American sports are off or at different time zones. So we're really working with them in terms of um, the event offering and also the requirements around the regulation from a technical perspective um, to make sure that it's, you know, it's in line with kind of best practice, both in the US and Europe, um, or for example, like GLI standards um, as well. Um, let's get back into the tech a little bit here. From your perspective, what is really important in building the tech that supports gambling platforms? Um, yeah, I mean, from, from our point of view, um, we, we kind of push, you know, what we call like flexibility, basically. So we allow our partners really to, even though we're a, a B2B supplier, we allow our partners to have a lot of customization and, and really be in control of their strategy, both from a 
kind of look and feel brand and features, but also from a trading and risk management point of view. Um, we allow our partners to really define exactly their strategy in, in terms of risk and liability so that they can have their own pricing and are not beholden to, let's say, a Nevada line. And I think that's really important when you get into some of the regionality across the U.S. in terms of what things are bet on um, and also which teams. So, for example, if you're in Mississippi, you know, the major Mississippi college teams are getting bet pretty much no matter what the line is. So you end up building a very big risk and liability. So you want to kind of offset that price sometimes because you know that's where the business is going to come. If you take a service from maybe another provider, they're just going to give you a standard line. So you end up building risk at a, at a bad level, basically. Um, the big thing with sports betting, though, in general, is just throughput. You know, having a scalable and, and flexible platform to be able to handle just the volumes uh, in terms of the number of bets, the number of odds, price updates, you know, very much like a, I guess, even more so sometimes than like a financial market. But the amount of odds and, and events that we're streaming, it's, you know, millions upon millions of updates every day. Um, let's talk about another aspect of this, which is in-game betting in w whatever you know, platform that's going to be and in, in whatever sport that we're talking about here. Um, this is all kind of new for a lot of people. There are traditional methods where people bet on a game or there's fantasy sports, I guess, if you call that betting as well, and halftime lines. But I think what a lot of people are talking about here is really jumping headfirst into the idea of situational betting and quick turnarounds and opportunity. So how does that tech differ from how you secure, secure and build traditional betting? Yeah, so I think you're exactly right. You know, in-game betting, you know, traditionally in Nevada probably was kept to maybe the Super Bowl. They would have some maybe a money line spread over under if that. But I mean, in Europe, it's it's been pretty much common practice for you know, the thick end of probably 10 years now. And, you know, most European operators in, in, in whatever jurisdiction you're in probably generate around about 70% of their revenue from, from live betting. Um, I think in the US, depending on where you are, it's nowhere near that yet. I think I think FanDuel announced that they were maybe heading towards 50-50. Um, but, you know, sports like tennis uh, are really built for kind of live betting. And that's where you see the kind of the either who's going to win the next point, the next game set. Um, and, you know, you're constantly updating the odds at every incident. Um, the, the way it works pre-match, you generally, you know, will have the line. You'll be aware of what's happening in the market. They don't move too much. And normally what moves the price is either money, so bets, or it's like team news, injury news, something like that, that, that really is like the significant impact. When you move into live betting, there's a lot more factors you need to take into account. So, you'll, for example, you'll start your prices based off what your pre-match line was, uh, but then however the game's going, so if, if one team is maybe the favourite before it starts, um, but then they go behind early in the match, then your model needs to calculate what that impact that has, has on the prices. So at every point during the game, so in a basketball game, every time the possession changes, every time the clock updates, um, you know, normally you do it every, about every 30 seconds, but possession changes every time there's a point or free throws are being given. The model is constantly recalculating what ultimately it thinks the line should be. And you have traders sitting over the top of it who will add things like, uh, let's say LeBron James has been taken off uh, earlier in the game than you'd expect and being put on the bench. Maybe he's in foul trouble or he looks like he might have a bit of an injury then you would adjust your core basis. So you'd adjust kind of the line, like the headline, handicap line and points line to reflect Le LeBron James coming off. Other than that, every time that you get the game state for the incidents, we'll then recalculate the odds to try and predict the new line 
but also across the 100 other derivative markets, like raised to 10 points, raised to 20 points, things like that. So are you guys working in these predictive algorithms that are literally changing by the moment as games change in progress? Yeah, I, I wouldn't call them necessarily, I mean, depends. I wouldn't, they're not AI yet. And I think, you know, not many people have got to that level. Um, but yeah, essentially what they're doing is they're predicting what they think the, the, the correct odds and probabilities are for all of the different markets you're offering. So yeah, at every point during the game, we'll basically be recalculating the odds to adjust basically what the current match situation is um, versus kind of the strength of the teams, um, which is basically the pre-match line. And the idea is these these things are going to get smarter as as they go. Have you seen a progression from when you guys started using these type of programs to now where they are more advanced? Yeah, I mean, yeah. For, I mean, I've been in the industry for around about ten years now, and and kind of when I was starting in play was was just just coming to start. And to be honest, it was pretty much a lot of the, when they first started, it was just a trader doing it manually, kind of putting it all in his head. A trader would be watching a match looking at the match and kind of thinking, well, this is what I think the game's going to finish at. That, and that was basically how trading w- was happening, especially in like a handicap points type of uh, sport, where you would kind of say, okay, I think the game's going to finish at, you know, 195 points and, and maybe the Lakers are going to win by seven. And you would kind of make your prices reflective of that. Then models started to evolve and, and what the models started to do, it still went with a trader, and then the model, the trader will be inputting into the model, score, the time, things like that. And then the model would calculate more of those odds for them. And now you're moving more where pretty much most of the top sports are covered with um, models driven by game state data. So from someone like a sports radar or an IMG, where they provide the game state data for the event. And then you feed that into your model, and then, which automatically calculates the lines. And then the trader sits on top of it and many, maybe manages multiple games now um, as, a, as a kind of a tolerance for what the output of the model is. Um, you're exactly right. They're only going to get smarter. They're only going to get more evolved. And there's a constant battle between kind of the operators or providers and then the sharp customers who are also building their own models. They have their own way of pricing games and to try and beat the, uh, beat the bookie. No one has ever accurately predicted sports, so we'll see if the machines can finally do it one day. We'll, we'll see if they can get there. Um, let, I'll leave you with this. What is next in your mind in the marketplace of gambling? Where do you see the industry going? Oh, very, very good question. I mean, um, I think in the in the U.S. you're going to see um, a bit of a bit of consolidation. You know, in terms of you know across the different states, you'll see a lot of those partnership style deals, especially when you've got small regional casinos who maybe are going to find it difficult to battle with the big brands um, because, you know, it is, you know, once you get to critical mass, you know, you're going to see a lot of advertisement on TV uh, and, and things like that. Um, I think from a product and technology perspective, you're just going to, you're just going to continue to see a lot of investment. You've touched on the models and that's a big thing. You're going to see, you know, all of the U S sports, a lot of attention on modeling. You've seen a lot of startup businesses now, trying to do player prop pricing and, and things like that. So I think you're just going to see a, 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 probably a step change in terms of the product offering, uh, especially across the U.S. sports. Ian Bradley is the Chief Strategy Officer at SB Tech. Thank you, Ian. Thanks very much, Bram. Nice to meet you. Up next, how Philadelphia is readying for the betters to pass the sugar. This is the Future Sport Podcast.
Sports gambling is spreading very quickly, but how quickly it can become online is a different story. Regulators don't want to have a wild west of internet-based operations, so they are selectively picking providers and trying their best to know whether their data protection is locked up. Ed Barkowitz joins us now from Philly.com. Uh, Pennsylvania's first legal online bookmaker is Sugar House. So can you tell our listeners who they are and why they were selected? Sugar House is, um, is one of two casinos that are that have property in philadelphia proper there are there are a bunch in pennsylvania but sugar house is the biggest casino uh in philadelphia they have opened their online uh betting on tuesday and with a hook though it is online with computer and pc and android but it has not yet been uh certified or on board with apple and and the ios system so there's a little kind of disappointment as it relates to that. Uh, so my sense is they went to uh, the, the Sugar House, uh, tried to get Apple on board, and, you know, there's this whole thing with Apple and the whole DOJ and the Wire Act and, and all that other business. And Sugar House basically said, you know what, we got to get online. we got to get our customers acclimated to this because of how popular uh, it is in New Jersey. Are, is Sugarhouse connected to any of the the huge, like gambling operations, like MGM or, or of that sort? No, no, they're not. They're they are their sports book is run by Camby, K A M B I. They are a uh, European based sports book which also runs the sports book at Parks. But as a traditional uh, Vegas mega casino, no, they are not part of that. Hmm. They are a uh, you know just. They have the Sugar House here. They have a New Jersey app, so they're familiar with how to run uh, uh, online sports betting through their Rush Street Interactive is, is the name of their online arm. So it's just a matter of getting it regulated in Pennsylvania. The biggest step for them will be to get Apple on board. And, um, you know, and I think what one of the things that's holding that up is Apple and their reluctance to get involved with the DOJ and, and the whole Wire Act. Um, and, and for those who don't know what Parks is, that is a horse racing track um, in Pennsylvania. Um, and it is interesting that this is, this is a group that is smaller than some of these other major American groups that are here. So I do wonder, do you think others are going to be granted the ability to take online bets in Pennsylvania? The biggest hurdle is Pennsylvania has, frankly, an obscene tax that, uh, that comes with it, uh, with, with granting a uh, sports betting license. Uh, it is a $10 million upfront fee, and then it's 36% tax, plus another 5% uh, for the federal. So it, it's a hefty burden uh, that's, frankly, keeping some away. That's kind of why it hasn't taken off in Pennsylvania like it has in New Jersey. I mean, New Jersey is knocking on knocking on the door with Nevada as far as, you know, revenue numbers, as, as, as far as handle. And Pennsylvania is not there yet. And I've had people tell me, you know, that 36% tax versus, say, I think it's 8.5% in New Jersey is one of the things that's holding things up for, you know, the expansion here. Ed Barkowitz of Philly.com. Thank you so much, Ed. My pleasure, Brent. That will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.